In terms of the wild populations, specifically for crabs, there has been a significant decline in commercial crab landings in the past years. Our system is capable of processing or utilizing 13% of the crabs available for shedding. The traditional operations on shedding facilities, they're only able to use 1% of all the commercial crab landings available. So that puts us in a competitive advantage. Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RASTAC Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Hey everyone, my name is Jean Coden, and I'm the editor of Hatchery International and RASTAC Magazine. And with me is my co-host, Brian Vinci, the director of the Freshwater Institute. Hello, Brian. Yeah, and good afternoon, Jean. Uh, we have a great podcast ahead, uh, an interview with Rodrigo Mezrahane on uh, Blue Crab Aquaculture Project, and uh, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, he gave a lot of details because it's such a unique project, and it's something that we haven't talked about on the podcast before, so we want to get you guys straight to it. Please enjoy the RAS Talk podcast with Rodrigo Mezrahane. Welcome, Rodrigo, and thank you for coming to our podcast. Thank you, Gene and Brian, for the for the opportunity. Um, I'm really excited about this. Yes, we're happy to have you. Um, how about we start with your role as Senior Project Manager at Blue Star Foods? Can you describe what your role is and what your responsibilities are? Uh, yes, of course. Um, it comes to mind when you ask the question that uh, I was in, in communications with a, with a contractor and uh, he did a, an introduction to somebody in his team. And uh, he said that uh, Rodrigo is a guy that wears many hats. I've been leading all the efforts related to project management, uh, research, and uh, project development, as well as facilitating and, and presenting the information to the executives and also uh, conducting some uh, feasibility studies and financial analysis for the for the project you know you can summarize it's uh, project management but uh, it's uh, also a lot of activities involved in the in in each project wow that's amazing you must be a very experienced person to be able to have your hands in many aspects of the blue star foods RAS projects. Before I want to get into your background in aquaculture, let's start with the project that you're working on currently with Blue Star Foods. So for the listeners that don't know, Blue Star Foods is sort of the umbrella company, is that right? And there are multiple RAS projects under this company. Yes, correct. And your latest venture is into soft shell crab, right? Can you give us an introduction about that? Yes. Yeah, so part of the merging and acquisition uh, strategy, uh, business strategy from Blue Star, uh, Blue Star acquire Coastal Pride Foods. It's a seafood company in um, South Carolina. They've been in business for uh, 30 years and uh, it was funded by the Lubking family. Uh, Mr. Walter Lopking, he is, is senior. He's, uh, you know, 70 plus years experience in, in Atlantic blue crab. Wow. 
so he's been working with Blue Crab and Softshell Crab uh, for all his life, uh, literally. So he had the, the idea um, and, and the knowledge of uh, what the, the Blue Crab's uh, conditions are in, the, in nature and uh, all the... the, 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 the fluctuations in, in the environment that the, the crabs withstand in their natural environment. Uh, he got the idea of uh, us replicating that environment uh, using uh, RAS technology and uh, benefit and profit from that. He knows crabs. He knows that crabs are efficient osmoregulators. They are very resilient and, and adaptive species. But they're also seasonal and sometimes a little bit difficult to get, to catch. So taking advantage of the novelties of the blue crabs, he had the idea of providing the crabs with the ideal conditions for promoting or delaying their, their growth cycle. And with uh, the Blue Star CEO, John Keeler's business vision, he saw the opportunity of uh, having a, an off-season, uh, year-round uh, softshell crab operation. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And from the sounds of it, softshell crab is not an easy species to raise. So what was it that was most attractive to you about taking on this project? Uh, well, definitely they're not easy, but they're predictable. So with the experience that we have in the team and, and the technology available nowadays, we can uh, tailor and, and uh, provide the crabs with the ideal uh, conditions so we can uh, help them and, and assist them through their uh, growing cycle. That's really fascinating. Do you have a lot of experience in this species? I switched uh, industries uh, a year and a half ago. So I started working with uh, with Blue Star and Aquaculture September 2021. So this is all fairly new to me. I'm a strong uh, researcher and, and uh, investigator. So I've been uh, uh, observing and, uh, and getting as much information as I can uh, for the past year, year and a half. I, I was very... Uh, privileged to attend uh, the Freshwater Institute uh, workshop that uh, the Brian taught here in in uh, in Miami last year, and also been uh, educating myself into into this technology. However, this is a project or a initiative that hasn't been done before at uh, at a commercial scale. So most of the operation and, and procedures are new. So I've been able to benefit from, from different projects in different disciplines uh, and, and bring that knowledge to, to this particular project. Yeah, it's very exciting. Can you talk a little bit about your professional background before you came to Blue Star Foods? Um, maybe... What other species have you worked in, for example? No, no other species. I used to work oh, okay. uh, with uh, renewable energy, biodiesel specifically for eight years. Biodiesel, it's a, it's a substitute for diesel, but it's, it's all uh, processes and, and basic chemistry. And my background is in uh, industrial design. So I've been involved in, in uh, many different discipline projects from uh, furniture design, mechanical design, medical equipment, and uh, prosthetic design. So every project is unique and you address it uh, differently. Rodrigo, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. 
you mentioned that you have experience in biodiesel and a few other pretty complicated processes. Um, I think you've probably found that aquaculture of the blue crab is also quite complex. I've known a few groups who have been working on aquaculture for this species, primarily for restoration in the Chesapeake Bay, but then the technology has been transferred to some commercial producers. And the, the challenges that I'm aware of were um, the reproductive physiological challenges, you know, the early rearing and the breeding and then keeping the broodstock. I'm wondering, have you had a chance to visit any of these other folks working on blue crab aquaculture, like at Mississippi at the university or in uh, Baltimore? Not yet, not yet. I've been in uh, in uh, contact and in communications with several researchers. You know, they have uh, hatcheries and uh, they're starting uh, uh, hatching uh, ponds for blue crabs. But at this uh, stage right now, we're not planning into into raising the crabs. We're going to get them, obtain the crabs from the fishermen directly, and then just uh, hold them through their molting cycle. However, we will have second phase of the project, which is it's going to be a hatchery. But I will definitely be interested in, in visiting the guys at Maryland that you mentioned and learning more about what they're doing. Great. So I didn't know that detail. So this is more of a catch and then hold and grow out to the right soft shell product. That definitely takes the challenges of the early rearing cannibalism out. I know that the various programs that have been researching blue crab aquaculture have tried different things to address the cannibalism that is prevalent when the crabs are like an inch or half an inch across the shell. I've even seen some crazy ideas about raising the small crabs and almost like ice cube trays um, when they're really small to prevent the cannibalism. And but I have seen some things that could be scaled up and raising them essentially in, in a substrate or a, a, a material where they can hide from others and and continue to uh, to grow. Um, your project reminds me a little bit of projects like eel, where they collect the eel when they are swimming back to the river um, as elvers, and then they take the elvers and grow them up to a certain size and then sell them at that target size. So that's really interesting. What volume of crabs, pounds, I guess, or, or kilos, do you think you guys will be taking in on a yearly basis and then holding to the molting? Uh, we, we will have to deal with some uh, cannibalistic behavior from the crabs because our main goal is to bring the hard crabs into molting stage, not only getting the crabs at a late molting stage and just uh, holding them, but just promoting their their, molt, their, their growth cycle and their molting uh, stage when they're hard crabs. So the classification throughout the molting stage goes uh, hard crabs and then number two crabs, which are uh, one step before they start showing signs of, of molting. And then they become white lines. Uh, they're called white lines because of a, a line uh, surrounding their swimming fins. It's a vein uh, and their apron. So that white line then becomes pink and then becomes red as they, as they evolve in their molting cycle. And after red, it, they, they molt, they, they shed the, the, the shell. 
So when they are hard crabs, no, number two crabs, they're highly cannibalistic as well as when they're white white lines, white crabs. So uh, for that, we've been uh, uh, researching and, and developing and trying uh, several uh, constraint uh, mechanisms so they don't they don't hurt each other. They do get more docile when they start molting. So, so it's it's not just the the small crabs that that I was mentioning that are cannibalistic. The crab itself is cannibalistic its whole life. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Well, Ex uh, they, except they for when very, they're molting, right? Correct. Correct. So including when when you have a, a shedding tray with uh, three hundred crabs and they're all sort of in the same uh, stage. You need to watch out for for the ones that are uh, not yet uh, molting versus the ones that are molting. They can they can uh, you know attack each other. When we get into the the, the specific uh, uh, operations uh, questions, I will I will uh, get deeper into this. But that's why we are adding initial uh, receiving and, and um, inspecting and uh, classifying stage to our facility in which we uh, closely inspect the crabs and we identify which uh, molting stage or, or, or part of their cycle they are. So we can uh, put them all together divided by their stage of molting. This is something that will allow us to have a standard, I tend to use uh, terms from, from the industrial production, but uh, standard raw material, if we can call the, the crabs that way, so we don't have them mixed in different uh, stages. So we all give them the same treatment depending on where they land in the facility. Right. So let's let's talk about some of those uh, operational details um you're currently doing this right you're you're bringing in crabs from the from the watermen is that correct yes yes we yeah. have our uh, pilot facility in uh, beaufort south carolina that uh, we're using for uh, research and development and uh, this is a shedding facility that has been in operation for more than 20 years um, now it's been run by by blue star and and uh, coastal pride We've been conducting the all the efforts for for uh, research and developing on on the specifics for the commercial uh, scale. That facility is uh, around a hundred uh, shedding trays, and uh, on the commercial facility, we're gonna have around uh, fifteen hundred shedding trays. You know, fifteen x uh, scalability. That scalability brings uh, many many challenges. We've been. Uh, Trying to picture and address those challenges ahead of time and, and, and understanding where the bottlenecks are and how would those bottlenecks uh, feed and, and benefit the, the rest of the, of the stages. So at the beginning, we're going to have a, a receiving or an inspecting room in which uh, we're going to sort uh, the different crabs depending on their molting stage and their uh, sex. We don't want to mix uh, males and females. The males, they are more interested in, in mating than molting. The red lines are going to be placed uh, all together on the same unit with uh, warmer uh, water temperatures and um, in higher water exchange rate. So we'll keep the water fresh and, and uh, we'll give the crab the best 
conditions for 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 it to molt. This is a very uh, stressful phase that the crabs withstand. So uh, we want to have the the best conditions as possible. The pink lines they're far along in the in their molting cycle, and you cannot stop their 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 growth cycle at that moment. So you will just provide them with the with all the environmental conditions that they need to to become a, a red line and then a, a soft shell crab and with the white crabs and the hard crabs we can cool down the temperature on the water and uh, delay the molting cycle and even induce or or promote a hibernation stage in which they stop growth or significantly delay their growth. Our target is to keep them for 120 days in hibernation. So in that moment, they don't uh, feed, they don't, they have minimum, minimum close to zero uh, excretions and uh, they're dormant, fully dormant. And, and after we will slowly increase the water temperature and and so they can uh, they can restart their their growth cycle. Okay, um, that's a great description of that process of bringing them in and and the various uh, phases. How how long does it take from when you get the crabs in and you sex them to that molt um, and potential harvest? Well. Uh, depending on the on their stage, but on their last stage, uh, the, when the red lines, which we don't interfere with their growth cycle, they will be out. Uh, you know, the harvest will be ready in four days, uh, up to four days. So some of them they they start you know shedding in the in the truck, and and you just have to run them through the inspection and putting them on the on the shedding trays and soon after they will be uh, ready to to be taken out of out of the water uh, we do wait uh, around 20 30 minutes from the moment they shed the shell so they they gain a little bit of strength in their body and we can take them out of the water uh, so four days for for when when their uh, red lines to soft shell and then uh, you go back 10 days for when they're pink lines, and then you add 15 more days when they're white lines, and then you add 15 more days when they're uh, number two crabs. So hard crabs, they will take uh, around uh, six weeks to molt. Do the commercial scale shedding trays also have the same dimensions as the pilot scale shedding trays? No, the, the, the pilot has uh, the most common uh, trays on the, on the traditional shedding facilities are uh, four by eight feet. And that's because they're made out of, uh, most of the cases are made out of uh, plywood and that's the plywood sheet dimension. But in, in our case, we're going we're gonna to make them a, a little bit longer. We don't want to go wider because you need to reach physically um, the, the, the crabs. Uh, or at least you need to be able to do it. So uh, four feet will be the maximum uh, uh, width and then uh, 10 feet long. So we can accommodate more crabs when they are cannibalistic and aggressive on their early stages of molting. That's about 40 square feet of, of area or, you know, correct close to four square meters. Do you have a stocking density that you're currently using or that is common or, or standard for shedding trays? Yes. So 
I want to be as precise as possible, but again, the stock density will change. Uh, will will yeah will change depending on the on the molting stage, but it will range between a hundred and five hundred crabs per tray. Um, a hundred when we have uh, uh number two crabs and white white crabs that that they're aggressive and cannibalistic we need to have them in um, separate compartments and uh, with partitions with some restraint uh, mechanisms so at that moment we're also going to feed them so we need to have very low density that's uh that's going to be around 100 crabs per tray and uh, then when they're in hibernation that they're not feeding they're completely dormant in very minimal uh, excursions uh, to the water, uh, we can have, uh, we're aiming at 500, but we could go 700 crabs per tray. Our target is, our goal in, in operation is, is not to move the crabs or interfere physically with the crabs, just uh, change the, the, the water conditions. So we will keep as closer to 100 crabs per tray density when possible. But we're, we're treating the, the crabs under hibernation as uh, inventory or as uh, stock, in which, depending on the seasonality, the natural seasonality, we will release more crabs out of hibernation or less crabs out of hibernation, depending on the on the market conditions and the environmental conditions in, in nature. Right. So for the crabs that come in as number two, are you feeding them at all? I, I, I would assume that when they're shedding, they're not being fed, but maybe that's incorrect. Yes. When, when they're shedding, they, they don't feed. Uh, when they are number two crabs and uh, white crabs, we feed them through their cycle until they stop feeding. And at that point, we know they're they're starting to, to molt. Right. Or we feed them until we induce the hibernation state. And, and at that point, they will have enough nutrients to withstand the, the hibernation and, and then get out of hibernation and re uh, reestablish their 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 growth cycle strongly so there's only a certain time that you feed the crabs um so the recirculating systems for these must be relatively um basic is that correct what what does the research system look like yes very basic uh, minimum uh, contamination on the on the water except from when they're feeding it's a, a general research uh, system with a, with a skimmer, the, the drum filter, UV filter, biofilter, and that. We're going to have a very, very efficient recirculating system because of the, of the conditions on the water are, are just minimal contamination. Uh, we're aiming at 95, 98% uh, recirculating. Let's talk a little bit about full production and, uh, you know, the, the first real harvest that you expect from the commercial project. Yes. Uh, so we're aiming to start production second quarter next year. Ideally have a fully loaded system in May next year when the crops are abundant and, and fairly cheap in nature. You know, the first harvest will be four days after for the red lines and then 
Subsequently, we will start loading the, the harvination uh, crabs and, and uh, the same as the white line. So uh, by that time, we will be in full season. So we will only get red lines and, and pink line crabs. So we will have a constant shedding operation. And uh, as soon as the season, uh, the natural season goes out, uh, we'll start getting more of the, of the white lines and also the hard crabs. So that would be a progressive uh, ramp up on, on, in terms of operation. We will start with the less complex part of the operation, which is a traditional shedding uh, operation. And then we will progress into, into the more uh, complicated part of the operation, which will be bringing the number two crabs and the white lines up to, to molting stage. So that's, that's what we're uh, scheduled for right now. This enterprise really relies on the watermen and the natural crab fishery, it sounds like. So uh, I'm wondering about the the full life cycle because you know that that's where there's so much benefit with recirculating systems is taking pressure off of the wild fisheries, whether it's crab or uh, cod or salmon, and bringing that life cycle on land, controlling it, and having a consistent product throughout the year um, I'm sure you guys at Blue Star realize that. So what are your plans uh, on that? You mentioned that that was kind of a, a next phase after this first commercial uh, scale-up. The hatchery itself is the second stage as soon as we have uh, full production and, and uh, the system uh, completely dialed in, full understanding on, on the needs for the facility in operation, we'll start uh, the, the hatchery. Uh, we have spoken with uh, with many people researching about this uh, right now. Um, so that, that will be a second tier or second phase on the on the project. Uh, however, in terms of the, the wild populations, specifically for crabs, there has been a significant decline in the, the crab landings, the commercial crab landings in the past years. Our operation or our system, it's, it's capable of processing or utilizing 13% of the crabs available for, for shedding. The traditional operations on shedding facilities, they're only able to use 1% of, the, of all the commercial crab landings available. So this is because we are able to bring uh, white lines into molting stage and uh, hard crabs into molting stage as well. So we will be sourcing our crabs from a wider uh, spectrum of crabs available. So that puts us in a, in a competitive advantage. Rodrigo, if I understand correctly from what you've explained earlier, it seems to me like the biggest challenge of this commercial operation will be in establishing clear standard operating procedures and really training the staff well to ensure that smooth operation it sounds like six-week turnover from when you receive them from the watermen to when they'll be ready to harvest. Is that right? Yes. The, the longest they're going to be uh, without taking into consideration hibernation would mm -hmm. be uh, six weeks. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about 
the challenges of that, it seems to me like the biggest key to this would be to have a properly trained staff that will really ensure that smooth operation through those life stages, right? Yes, yes. You need a really trained uh, eye and in staff. I've, I've seen it myself on the pilot facility. I've done a lot of research and investigation on the on the crabs, but when you're there on site looking at the crabs, it's a it's a complete uh, different story than than the conceptual part. So you need trained staff that know the behavior of the, of the crab. They know this when they're showing signs of molting or they're weak. And we're putting an emphasis of the detail uh, inspection at the at the beginning of the stage. So we will have a, a labor-intensive uh, operation at the beginning. So that way mm -hmm. we will have less variations on the process uh, downstream. Rodrigo, uh, when talking about technology and, and the RAS, um, I'm wondering a little bit about your technology provider or if you're doing that design yourself, uh, because Gene and I just completed a recording with uh, Blue Gen, which is a Korean project for South Korean project for olive flounder. And they are also using uh, trays, um, not very deep. They're not shedding trays. They're just flounder trays because it's a flat fish. And that's uh, the preferred rearing vessel for them. And they chose a Norwegian firm, I think, Gene, correct me if I'm wrong, it was SIFT. Is that right? Yep, that's right. And um, they're relying, Blue Gen is relying on SIFT to provide the design and the technology. Uh, can you talk to that a little bit? Are, are you looking at providers or do you already have it all set for the RAS? We've been uh, working with uh, HDH, uh, Paul Honley, uh, Madi Badiola, and Dan Farkas on the engineering for this. Uh, we've been in, in contract for uh, over a year. Uh, well, a year right now, and expertise in in uh, developing this system, and uh, and all the you know the process flow, and uh, the bioproduction uh, plan, and 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 dimensioning the equipment and and that. So, uh, HDH uh, Aquaculture is it's our provider for technology. It's a very fascinating and a very unique project, and I congratulate you on the progress you've had so far. Um, thank you so much for coming to our podcast and being generous with the details and giving us an inside look on developing this project. And we wish you a, a smooth production all the way to your target for next May. Thank you so much. All the best on the project. Thank you. Thank you so much. And see you soon in Rastec in Orlando. Yes, absolutely. For our listeners, this episode will come out just before our RAS Tech event in Orlando and Rodrigo will be presenting specifically on this project. So we hope to see some of our listeners there. Thank you. That was a really fascinating conversation. And again, as I said in the intro as well, Rodrigo was very generous with the project and the details of the project. It sounds like he has a lot of elements going. Um, what did you think about it, Brian? Yeah, lots of elements for sure. It's different than fin fish projects where we talk about a hatching phase and an early rearing phase and then maybe yeah. a, a smolt or post-smolt phase and then a grow-out phase. This has the different life stages of the molting process for the shedding and, uh, you know, different phases leading to harvest at different times. So very quick to harvest. Um, I think 
he said, uh, you know, 45 days or six weeks and um, a, a real interesting application of RAS technology um, to uh, to a species like crab. Yeah, for sure. I'm interested in how this project is going to develop. So I hope you guys liked this episode. As always, show notes for this episode and all our episodes are available on our website with links to articles, photos, and more extras. Go to rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. That's R-A-S-T-E-C-H magazine.com slash podcast. Please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.